Any you guys run the crazy eight? Anybody do the crazy eight? Look, at, look there's some hands. Okay, any of you guys sore? You, you inspired me. So I, I kept seeing all these messages of people preparing for the crazy eight. So um, I set out to make my own eight. And I realized if you take two Krispy Kreme donuts and you put them together, <laughs> true story. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> that has no point for anything. Just I'm glad you, you, you came back and you're here. Um, we've, been, we've been working through uh, a series called Church Defined, Church Defined, and we're not kind of doing our normal routine in which we go necessarily verse by verse, instead we're really looking at doctrine and the specific doctrines of the church, and as a result we're doing that a little bit more systematically. And so sometimes when you cover a whole area, it's really hard to pack everything into just one sermon. And so we're just touching the highlights. So one of the things I want to remind you is every week there are notes available that go along with the sermon through the app and online. If you go to tcbchurch.org news or you can go to wherever you download your apps, TCB Church, download that app. And there are notes there. And almost every week there are a lot more notes and a lot more information than we're going to cover in the sermon. It gives you an opportunity to go back and to study, to revisit, and read those things at home. And so I would encourage you to do that, especially today. We're going to be a little bit more uh, brief in this time. We're going to take about 20 minutes and we're just going to open up the word a little bit. And we're going to see what God's word says about leadership in the local church. And then I'm going to have some of our elders come, and they're going to join me, and we're just going to practically talk through a little bit of how that plays itself out at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. So that's the plan this morning. But when we talk about leadership, we have to recognize that our culture is fascinated with leadership. I mean, we really are. We're fascinated by the idea of it. That hasn't always been the case. Did you know that right now on average, for about the last five years, Five leadership books are published every day. Every day, five new leadership books are published. And when you think about how ridiculous that is, I want to also point this out. Uh, Pastor Paul, Paul Vermilion, is currently getting his Ph.D. in the area of leadership, which means he is responsible for all of the research and content in all of those books. <laughs> I find that funny. Um, I, it, yeah, it's just, anyway. Um, and so we have this idea in one sense that leadership is this really complex thing. We have this idea uh, sometimes that I think leadership is just uh, whatever we kind of want to make it to be. And so when we sit down and we say, okay, we're going to take 20 minutes and just overview leadership in the context of the local church, even in our own minds, that can mean a lot of different things. It's very broad. And so I wrestled with what, what would be the most important and significant aspects of leadership to hold up, and if there's a theme to the day that you can walk away with, what would I want that theme to be? What do I think is most important for us to get? And it's simply this idea that we cannot talk about leadership and not think about submission. We can't talk about leadership and not think about submission. Let me try to give you an illustration to kind of help you understand what I'm saying. Uh, I was pastoring at a, at a previous church, and one day a, a young man walks in the office, and he says, look, I need help. I can't pay my rent. I've got a job. I'm working hard. Just things, things have been really hard this month, and I need help. And our church partnered with 
all these churches and other organizations within our community and we kind of were able to track with people because sometimes people just will try to abuse systems and they'll just go from one place to another place and they don't ever get the real help they need. They just kind of get the dollar amount for that month and then they're back and then and he was kind of in that system so we knew he wasn't going to get a lot of help through that. He'd, he'd kind of been somewhat continually in that but we helped them. We came alongside of him. We helped them that month, tried to connect him a little bit. The next month, the same man comes back into the office and says, hey, I know I was just here last month. Some things have come up. I didn't see them happening. They're here. I need help again. Again, we kind of helped them and kind of walked through that with them and tried to figure out how to come alongside of him. Third month, the man shows up again, third time. And this time I, I asked the man, I said, why don't you come in my office? I want to talk to you. And I said, look, I listened to his story, and I kind of got to know them a little bit over the last couple of months, and I said, we'll help you, but it's going to cost you your financial freedom. He goes, what's that mean? I said, it means this, whether it's me or someone else in the church, they're going to see your bank statement, they're going to see your paycheck. And you're not going to make a decision to spend more than $20 without them approving it. You're going to submit your financial decision making to someone else. And they're going to begin to help you through this. The man says, well, wait a minute. It's my money. I don't think that's right. And I said, I know it's your money. That's why I'm telling you it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to submit to it. He goes, but it's my money. And I said, look, you have a track record that shows managing your money is a weakness for you. That it shows that you have weakness in the competencies needed to do this well. I've shown myself decently competent in this, and there's a lot of people in my church who have shown themselves much more competent than me. And if you will allow us and submit to us, we will help teach you those skills. But you have to submit. See how leadership and submission must go together? They connect because submission recognizes a higher authority and at least acknowledges there is greater wisdom than my personal wisdom. And so submission is necessary to leadership because, check this, the goods of leadership, the benefits of leadership, come through, are received through submission. The goods of leadership are received through submission. So we can't really talk about leadership and not think about submission because without submission, there's really no leadership. It's just conquest. It's just rule and force and control. And that's not faithful local church leadership. See, local church leadership is mutual submission to one another. According to the gifts of grace granted by the Father for the purpose of building up the whole body into the likeness of the Son, our leader Jesus, as empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's mutual submission to one another because ultimately we all surrender to Jesus and live in submission to him. Why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. That's our big truth this morning. Colossians 1.18, Paul says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. 
If we're going to understand leadership within the local church, we must first understand Jesus is the head of the church. And we have big ideas that we often talk through on Sunday morning, and our big ideas are just the implications of the big truth. And if Jesus is the head of the church, if Tri-Cities Baptist Church is a faithful local church, then Jesus is the head of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. He is the head of our church. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. He goes on to say, the church submits to Christ. Jesus is the head of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. He is the authority. Tri-Cities Baptist Church belongs to him. He purchased us. He saved us with his very life, and so we submit to his authority in all matters as revealed in Scripture. Jesus is the head of the church. I remember this guy, I had this conversation with him, and he was frustrated about something that just didn't matter. I mean, just, have you guys ever met a curmudgeon? I mean, don't point, just, yeah, have you met one? Um, so he's a little bit of a curmudgeon, and he was fussing about something that just really didn't matter. I said, look, at the end of the day, just and I, I didn't really mean it as in a forceful thing. I just, I, I just was kind of talking, and I said, just submit to the leadership. Go along with things. It, it, it's not wrong. They're trying to help. Trust in them. Submit in them. Make, make the process, their life, a little easier. And he immediately bowed up and says, I submit to no man but Jesus. And when he said that, that kind of appealed to my inner redneck. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you got a guy named Bubba who lives deep inside your heart, right? And so it appeals to my inner redneck. I get what he's saying, but the truth of what he said is a contradiction. It's a contradiction because submitting to Jesus is submitting to his will. See, Jesus is the only head of Tri-Cities Baptist Church and any faithful gathering of a local church. He is the authority. He doesn't just have authority at our church. He is the authority of our church. And in his authority, he has set up a leadership structure for the church, the local church, Tri-Cities Baptist Church. And that leadership structure is practically dependent on giftedness and calling and plurality and mutual submission. And so our second big idea that I want you to see in kind of this leadership structure that we have in the local church is the elders and pastors are overseers of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Because scripture has set it up that way. And we seek to be faithful to the word of God. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders, plural, among you. Verse 2 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is their role. This is what they do. They shepherd the flock. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not by force, rather through discipleship. As God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. One of the chief roles of the elder is to be an example. Our elders are not going to be perfect. They have a sin nature and struggles just like you. 
but the responsibility of the elder is to pursue Christ's likeness in an exemplary way. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God has set apart elders and pastors to shepherd the church. And again, if you look at those notes, we've given you a lot of verses. You can study that throughout the New Testament. Our elders and pastors are responsible for overseeing the church's teaching, vision, and faithfulness. And I want to take some time and I just want to break down elder leadership a little bit because the truth is elder leadership in its plurality is probably um, foreign to most of our experiences. And I think in some ways it's kind of foreign to our fallen nature as humans. And so I, I, I want to break this down just with a few quick points. First, TCBC elders are set apart by God to lead. I want you to understand a few things about our church, our elders. They're set apart to lead. Verse 2 said, exercising oversight as God would have you. Again, not for control, not for gain, not for benefit, not for fame, none of those kinds of things. But for the edification of the body, for the building up of the body into Christ as God would have you. To be exemplary. Paul said to a young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise you for your youth. This young elder, this young pastor, he says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. TCBC elders are held to biblical standards, to biblical standards. We see those laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Let, let me read these to you from 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, we're going to see that term interchangeably through the New Testament, overseer, elder, pastor, bishop, it's the same office. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." One of the responsibilities that you have as a church is to hold us as elders, the nine elders at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, and our pastors accountable to these qualifications. You, listen, if you have doubt in that, we ask you to talk to us, to reach out to us. This is an important qualification given to the office and something we here have to take very seriously. And so we see that these elders, they're not just called and set apart, but there are 
qualifications and teachings for what they should be. Our elders, TCBC elders, lead through prayer. Praying is one of our primary functions as overseers. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Some of the most precious times I think I have in serving as an elder is praying for you. Praying for you. We pray for you whether you ask us to or not. (laughs) Um, But if there's ever needs in your life, let us know. We want to pray for you. It's what we're called and set apart to do. We pray and we lead through prayer. TCBC elders lead through proclamation. Titus 1.9 says the overseer should be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. If you wonder what our teaching should be like, that's a pretty good charge. Sound doctrine. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, those who step outside of sound doctrine should be rebuked, should be called to repentance and called to turn back in. I just want to give you a way to challenge us as elders. It's kind of hard in our setting and in our culture. If our elders are not actively rebuking, calling for repentance, then what that should mean is that everyone in our church is walking in an abiding relationship with Jesus, pursuing wisdom and faithfulness. Or we're not doing what we've been called and set apart to do. We, we proclaim God's word. And the responsibility is heavy to stand in front of God's people and hold up his word and say, thus says the Lord. It's the responsibility that he's given us. And so we lead through proclamation. TCBC elders lead through plurality. We lead through plurality. 1 Peter 5, 1 says, I exhort the elders, plural, among you. Acts 20, verse 17, and he called the elders, plural, of the church to come to him. See, this matters. I'm trying to think why this matters so much. This matters because elders should be exemplary. They should model what we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 where we see the gifts of the body coming together and working in plurality. We should model that. We should model the mutual submission, the personal sacrifice according to giftedness and wisdom. In other words, there should be varying leaders among equals based on, again, giftedness, the grace of God and calling and role. We should model that. See, listen, if there's just one leader among equals, that's, that's an illusion of plurality. That's a king who has a council. The council always gives counsel. It comes back to the one, and the one always makes the decision regardless of what they're talking about. That's not plurality. That's just a king. See, when we have multiple leaders among equals, what we recognize is there is a giftedness. The plurality recognizes giftedness in this individual set apart for the benefit of the whole body in this particular area as best we can discern. And so we allow that person and their giftedness through the power of the Holy Spirit to kind of serve as a leader among equals in that specific area. That's plurality. And that's a model of what we see of how the body operates because there's eyes and there's hands and there's toes and 
Again, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, it models that. And if you don't see that in your leaders, it paints this kind of Western idea of always making it to the top. It's not what we see in Scripture. Finally, elders will give an account for leading TCBC. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Our elders will give an account before God for their oversight for you. And you will give an account. I will give an account for my submission to that leadership. In just a minute, I'm going to ask our elders to come up and we're going to have a conversation. I want to break down a few quick points about leadership before we move forward. Stay with me for just a moment. The next big idea, members are ministers of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Ephesians 4, verse 12, the leaders equip the saints, that's the members, for the work of the ministry. If you are a member of of the church you are a minister of the church the ministry of the church rests on you not necessarily in of itself the leaders you don't get to say that's their job no frankly scripture says it's your job it's my job as members of the church and so we minister in our families we minister in our church we minister in the world but the members of the church are the ministers. Our final big idea, our deacons are the servants of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 6, verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven good men of repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. God has set apart deacons to serve the church, and our deacons work together to mobilize the church to meet for us, and really what we see in Scripture, three specific types of needs. This um, benevolent need, this uh, people who need help with just the basic necessities of life, care needs for those who are walking through seasons of loss and hurt and difficulty, and finally, what we call missional needs or unity needs. To hold the church together as one body and remind them that we are one in Christ. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to ask our elders to come on up and join me on stage. And we're going to kind of go back to that elder leadership and we're going to have a conversation about it. We're going to talk practically about what that means for us as a church and what that specifically looks like here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. For those of you who don't know, we have nine elders and there are nine of us. And again, in your notes or at tcbchurch.org slash elders, you can see all of our beautiful faces uh, because I know you're interested in that. Uh, but there are nine of us, and we have different gifts. And uh, just, again, uh, a real, um, uh, I think, divinely established plurality. In other words, where one of us is weak, others of us are strong. 
and we help one another. And so I've asked these guys to come on up and kind of join us and, and uh, just uh, let them kind of get to know you a little bit. I tell you what, let's do this really quick, all right? Dave, we'll start with you. Just come this way. Just in a statement, one thing these guys might not know about you. You got one thing these guys might not know about you? Uh, I can juggle. And, and, um, Do you wear the clown fit outfit too? No, no, no. No, just right. And uh, I can do a little moonwalking. Hey, if we have time, how, how many of you want to see this? I didn't know that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Come back next week. <laughs> uh, okay, something really important that you may not know. Um, my favorite restaurant is Longhorn Steakhouse. So, you know, if that comes to your mind, we would. We, it used to be Bonefish. Now it's Longhorn. So, um, I was born in Paris. What? <laughs> but Texas. 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 Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. I, I have a tattoo on my face, so there we go. There, there's all of our stuff. All right. That's, that's a true story. I really do. All right. Me and Mike Tyson. All right. First question. David, we're going to go to you first, all right? Kind of <laughs> how you follow all that, I don't really know. Um, first question. It's kind of a two-part question. David's been here uh, longer than the three of us, and so looking back into our past, how has plurality in our elder leadership benefited us? And also, how are we still growing in our understanding and in our pursuit of plurality? So I have been a member of Tri-Cities for 25 years, but Tri-Cities started over 28 years ago. And when I became a member, I, inher- I, I walked into this form of leadership. So um, I can honestly say I had absolutely nothing to do with it, but uh, for the, and many are in the room that did, but, um, I am so thankful because when Tri-City started, I mean, this is a Southern Baptist church. Our form of leadership is not necessarily aligned with the tradition of how Southern Baptist churches are led. And so the group of people that really did what you did this morning, Daniel, just looked at Scripture and said, now that we're on a fresh start, what should be the most biblical model that we follow? And that took a lot of courage because it would have been easier just to say, well, let's do it like we've always done it. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. It, it has, at the time I became member and even through the 25 years, it served this congregation and this body so well. Um, I, uh, but, but I do want to say this. It, it, it's, a, it's a starting point. It's a... Um, you know, I just, my daughter just got married. You, you would say the structure of a healthy family is a... Two believers, man and woman, come and get together in marriage. But you would never say that structure alone is going to allow them to th- thrive in marriage. There's got to be a lot of growth. And, and uh, same way for, I think, church leadership. You can get the structure right. It can serve the body well. But then you've got to grow in it. You've got to be able to function as a group of uh, elders in plurality. So I will just say um, one takeaway I've had and what I've seen over the 25 years in terms of growth is just what you were talking about there at the end in terms of mutual submissiveness. Um, And somebody, not even in this church, asked me this question about a week ago at work. They said, you know, they were talking about how we function as, as elders, and they said, well, wouldn't you expect 
that when you're trying to make a decision and all of you are praying for the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ in a decision, that he would just um, create a perspective in each of you so that you would immediately come to a point of unity. You would expect that if you're equally praying for wisdom from God. And on matters of core doctrine, core principles, we have very little issue with complete unity on that. But, you know, a lot of decisions, as you would expect, are not between right and wrong. They're between good and best. And uh, people come into it with different perspectives. And so we all pray for wisdom. And yet we all don't have, at the end of that prayer, exactly the same perspective. Um, some of that's due to our own sinfulness and work and still operating somewhat out of the flesh. But some of it, I think, is intentional on God's part so that we are required to be submissive to one another. So, do you know in James chapter 3 it says that wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, then gentle, and then it says willing to yield or submissive or easily entreatable. Why would, why would the wisdom of God ever need to yield to anything if it's wisdom from God? So, um, I think of that sometimes because we will talk about an issue that's not, again, trying to decide between good and get, uh, best, come with different perspectives, and yet at the end of the day to move forward, someone will need to yield so that we can move forward and advance the kingdom. And, and I think that is a demonstration yeah. of the wisdom of God. Now, I would also say for that to happen practically, especially our staff elders, you three guys, Gene, Jeff, uh, you have to create an environment where we can operate that way, and you do. And I've seen us grow, grow there uh, in large part because of guys like you three who allow people like me to speak into an issue with an equal voice and to allow each other to speak into an issue with an equal voice and to lean on each other's strengths. So we're growing. we got... A lot more we can do to thrive, but that's some, that's some examples of how we've done that. Uh, I'll say one thing about David. And no, uh, you know, if you, if you feel God's called you, gifted you as a teacher, you say, God's God set me apart. I am a teacher or a helper. Uh, it's really awkward if you feel like God has, has positioned you, let's say, with some wisdom. To say, God's gifted me with wisdom. See, that feels different, right? Uh, David is really a gift of wisdom to our elders. And so when he talks about speaking into those decisions, he's never going to come out and say that. And he doesn't feel that. Uh, but he really, he really is gifted with wisdom. And if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I, I need to talk to somebody about something. I need to make some life decisions. He's a great resource for our church and for you. And so, again, it's just a, a way you can, I, I think, lean on David and some of his gifts. All right, so we've benefited in the past from elder leadership. We're, we're still growing in it. I, I think one of the things that you have to acknowledge, especially in our culture, is how does this benefit you, uh, as in Mike? Mike's role as the primary teaching pastor of our church, he's the most visible, so he's the most familiar. So if, if you get asked, you know, who's kind of the pastor, you're going to default to Mike. And so for you, the idea of plurality and acknowledging that you're not always the leader among equals in all settings. I, 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 that could be interpreted as threatening. And even to the people who are most familiar with you, as you as the primary shepherd who's engaging them, that can be threatening to them. 
How is plurality and elder leadership a gift to you and your calling? So let me just say really clearly that plurality and leadership at this church is a personal gift to me. Uh, You benefit in ways you can't even imagine. I think our church benefits in ways you can't even imagine. I'll just say in response to that question, I benefit personally. And again, it's not about me, but I benefit personally from the plurality. So let me just give you a couple examples. One, uh, there's a reason that the average tenure of a pastor at a church is three and a half years. Because it's hard. Um, I've been here now almost going on eight, seven, almost eight years. And I'll just tell you, I love what I get to do. I do. I love it. I could not imagine doing what we do without these guys and the team of elders that I get to serve alongside. So there's a joy in the work that God has called us to because we get to do this together. That's just real practical day in and day out. We bear the responsibility before the Lord of which we will give an account that you mentioned earlier. We bear that together. That's a joy. That makes our work, I love that. So that's a personal benefit. The other one is a sense of nobody wants to be the limiting factor to anything. You, you don't want to be the limiting factor on a team that you're on. You don't want to be the limiting factor in your corporation, in, in any assignment you're given. We have strengths and we have weaknesses. And I'm very well aware and have become well aware over seven or eight years here of my own personal weaknesses. Plurality allows you to lead past those weaknesses and lean into wisdom and the strengths of the team so that you don't become the limiting factor. That's why, back to your example earlier of the single leadership model, ultimately that single leadership model is going to become a lead because that person doesn't have all the gifts, they don't have all the talents, they don't have the the abilities. So think of it this way. This is really cool. Our culture... The culture you live in, the culture we live in, screams independence, and it screams individuality. In other words, you be, you be yourself. You do your own thing, right? Scripture screams something completely different. We are dependent on one another. We are members of one another. We function best when we're together and we're leaning into each other's gifts. That's the way the body of Christ is to function. Listen. That's the way leadership's to function too. So Daniel mentioned one of the reasons we want to pursue this is because we're striving really hard to model this idea of dependence and mutual submission and leaning into each other because we think it's the biblical model. We want to model it because it's the way we're to operate as the church. That's the way we're better as leaders. We're better together. So my gifts alone don't serve our church very well. But our gifts together in leadership we are a better, healthier church. And I was telling you, in ways you don't even realize, over the past four, five, six years, we are a healthier church. Not because Mike has set in a certain role, but because the team of men God has put around us that we've leaned, leaned into each other's strengths. We're proactively a better church. And, and really quick, another thing is the propensity and the possibility of a single leader to, to fall into sin And the possibility of a single leader to be self-deceived and to say, we're going this way, I don't care what anybody says, and there's a bunch of yes men around that leader, that church is not served well at all. We don't operate that way. So there are times Pastor Mike may come to the table with a great idea, and the other guys at the table will go, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life, (laughs) for example. The reason is we have limited wisdom and limited perspective when we operate in isolation. When we operate in plurality, team, and community, 
we are better together. And that's the design of Scripture. That's the design of leadership. That's a much better dynamic for us to operate in. So I hope that gets at it. Yeah, I think so. Paul, in this room, I think probably most would say, um, I see this stuff in Scripture, I get it, and I trust you guys. I trust you guys. And so whatever you guys do, you know, I'm kind of good with in terms of how you lead and how that's structured, you know, I, I just trust you. Why should they care enough to put thought um, into understanding our plurality and, and, and eldership and why that matters and, and also enough energy to be able to communicate it to others? So why should it matter to us, I guess? That's a good question. I, I think there's a few things that come to mind, and we've kind of talked through some of these already, but... But one is really wrestling through our worldview. We each individually need to do this of what submission is. That submission is not a control word, it's a love word. Uh, Submission biblically, like you were saying, David, it's for the good of one another. And that's just not the way we naturally see it in ourselves. Um, I think another thing that's really important for each of us that we've got to wrestle through is if you're a believer, you need to take time to actually think through, okay, what is my default response to authority in general and within the church? Do I just kind of blindly trust it, but I don't compare it against God's word? Well, that's not wise. Um, do I buck up against authority? Kind of you're talking about, I bow up against it. I don't like it. I, I should pursue individualism. I'm wisdom myself. Well, if that's a default, that, that's an area of repentance. Um, it Am I just kind of what you're saying? Just, okay, the church leaders, I trust them. They'll take care of their thing. I focus on my thing. Well, there's dangers in that too because as we've been talking about, we can be, it's not just the man at the top who's prone to self-deception. We are all prone to self-deception. No one speaks to yourself more than you do. No one talks to yourself more than you do. What do you do when you get in the shower in the morning? You're, you're talking to yourself. You're thinking about your day. You're thinking about your kids. You're thinking about work. The propensity for self-deception is massive. All throughout the Bible, we're called, do not forget, do not forget, do not be deceived. And so we should care about this topic because it should be some time for self-reflection and self-examination for us. But I think another really important part is plurality is not just something that exists for the elders. The elders are to be a model for one another. So who are you submitting to in your regular life? What believers are you opening into your finances, your uh, business, your family, your fears, your sins, your anxieties, and letting them speak into you? Hopefully when you see the way that Mike and I lead together or Daniel and David, you're seeing a model for what you should pursue in your own. This is not just something that we are called to do. This is something that we are called to do. And I need this personally. I need the body to admonish me and encourage me and challenge me and correct me. Um, and I'm growing more in Christ's likeness when I'm pursuing that. And so this is something that I would encourage you to examine in your own life. Who am I submitting to? Am I an island to myself? For those of you here in life group, and I hope most of you, if not all of you are, are you being vulnerable with what's really going on in your life and letting other people who have the Holy Spirit living in them and the Word of God speak into your life? Um, do you have community where that's taking place? Are you submitting to that? For some of you, you sit around maybe in a life group circle and you hear somebody say something that kind of checks in your spirit 
of, I don't know that's right or correct, but you're afraid to say anything because you feel like you don't have authority in their lives. Brothers and sisters, we have authority in each other's lives for the glory of God, for the good of one another. And even this, this past week, I've had, you know, my wife is a huge part of that for me, but Jeremy Bledsoe, I had breakfast with him. He's challenging me on some things and just my own pursuit of community. I had a breakfast uh, with Eric Beach and was asking him some questions about parenting. He wasn't challenging me. He's just sharing his heart. And some of the things that he said were really convicting for me. And it's caused me to think about kind of my own parenting, my own being a husband. And that, that should be a, a normal part of our lives. So who are you submitting to? Not just big picture, but individually, week by week, day by day. And if the answer is no one, you're in a really dangerous place. And so hopefully what we are leading, what we're modeling can be a reflection to you guys um, of how to lead one another. And I just say like, I'm not an, the elder and everyone submits to me. I submit to these other eight men. They, they challenge me, they correct me. And I need them in their lives so that I can become more like Jesus and lead my wife better and my kids better, serve you better. Um, and I'm thankful for you brothers in that. Yeah, one of the things he mentioned, uh, just quickly, just some thought as you leave and you think who you're submitting to. Um, we all like the understanding, that biblical understanding of wise counsel. Uh, the part we miss, I think, a lot of that as believers is the wise part. We like the counsel from our friends or whatever that is, but I think if your primary counsel is coming from somebody who's never even read the fullness of Scripture before, uh, God has given us the church and leadership, and so there's, you may not know them as well, but there are people out there who have more wisdom, more biblical knowledge, more truth to be able to speak into your life, maybe than the person who's closest to you. So thinking through how you seek out submission and what that looks like in the life of the body is a really important discipline to bring into Quickly, it, looking forward, are there any like just practical pieces or handles as we move forward? Do you say as we try to grow more faithful in our pursuit and really as us being exemplary in plurality as leadership that we might be exemplary as a church because we're better together too? Uh, any just practical pieces you guys want to throw out uh, over uh, before we dismiss? Yeah, t- uh, you guys may have some too. I, I'll give you one that you need to know about and Moving forward in a pursuit of plurality, just like you described it from Scripture a few minutes ago, there's going to be something, you may be aware of this, you may not, it's somewhat subtle, but it's important, is there's going to be even something, a, a title change of some of our roles, particularly with Daniel and I, as we continue to pursue plurality, and here's why. Currently, I have the title, as you alluded to, of lead pastor. I'm the only one that has that lead word next to mine, so the implication or the assumption of that is you got a team of elders, but really at the end of the day, you've got one leader among equals, and that's Pastor Mike. He's kind of the guy. We want to lead on past that because that's not the way we operate, and that's not the way we want to go. And I'll just give you a quick example of that. I know our time's short, but even the way Daniel and I operate together. Um, over the past several years, and you may not even be aware of it, Daniel, because of the giftings God has given to him, has been the guy leading out in some areas of our church much more than me. Not because of title, but because of gifting. So we want even our titles to represent that, and so that you recognize, really, you made a reference earlier, there'll be times in plurality that there are leaders among equals that rise up because of giftings, and we operate that way. So we want our titles to represent that. So I'm going to take the title of teaching pastor, 
That doesn't mean I'm the only teaching pastor, but it does mean that I'm going to be the one to kind of be the leader among equals in that. Daniel's going to take on the role of leadership pastor because we all recognize, as an example, God's gifted this man with gifts that I don't have. And I want, I choose to recognize and submit to his leadership. We all choose to submit to his leadership in that area a lot. We choose to submit to one another's leadership, but we want our titles to represent that. So that's somewhat of a small thing. It looks like a blip, but it has great meaning that we're really pursuing this. And I want you guys to understand how we operate. That means we continue to submit to the team, but that also means that we submit to one another. And there's times that Pastor Mike willingly submits to Pastor Daniel because I know he has, he's more gifted in direction and vision and strategy than I am, we're a better church because of it. So that, that's one example moving forward of pursuing that. You guys may have. I would just, uh, just really, really practically, you need to have people in your life that you're submitting to and that you're allowing to speak into your life. Like Daniel's saying, just out of the truth of God's word, you know. So a couple practical implications. If, if you don't have that built in from the body, you need to find that. A life group is a great place to start. A study group might be a great place to start in that. Uh, if you're not a member of a church or of this church family, you are not under our authority or anyone's authority, and you are in a very dangerous place. And so you need to become a member of this church or let us help you find a godly church where you can be a member of so that you can be loved by the body. And so pursue community, pursue vulnerability. Maybe you are a member. Maybe you have community. Maybe you've just not chosen to be vulnerable. Maybe you've chosen to not admonish others out of fear of hurting a relationship or receiving that out of fear. I would encourage some of you guys to pursue that and the relationships you have in a way that's edifying and encouraging, not domineering, not judgmental, but for the health of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another. So it's a couple of thoughts. Well, you just got to show them some love. As they make their way down and our ushers make their way forward to take our tithes and our offerings, I want to give you just a practical charge. I share this with you. Um, I am a member before I am an elder. We're called to pray for our leaders, and it's hard. And one of the things I want you to see in Mike's humility, and I really want you to be able to recognize the same humility in a guy like Paul or like, the truth is, Paul could go pastor a church our size, and he could go do the same thing. And the loss of being kind of the guy that's felt by Mike is felt by Paul by just going somewhere else. And there's ambition and pride and all those things and those qualifications that we're to be exemplary in. They're hard. They're just hard. The, the ups and downs of leadership is hard. You can go, again, from a conversation in which someone walks into your office and says, my spouse is leaving me. And they can leave and your next appointment can come in and it can be my eight-year-old prayed to accept Jesus last night. And the ups and downs of walking through our lives and leading in that way, they are heavy. And so one of the challenges I want you to leave with is pray for us as your leaders. We are not perfect, but we long to lead you well and faithfully. It's worth your prayers. And so pray for us. The second thing I want to point out just as we prepare to close, there are some of you in this room and you're hearing submission for the first time and the only reason that makes sense for us is because Christ is the head of the church 
And he has called you to surrender your life to him. To surrender your life to him. To recognize in repentance and saving faith that he is the son of God who died in your place. And if you've never done that, immediately right after the service, right out these doors is a prayer room. Please stop by and talk to someone. Respond. Let the body come alongside of you and the gifts of the body begin to speak into that decision with you. But would you just join me as we pray for our offering and pray for our leaders? Heavenly Father, you are good. Thank you for the church. We have the church because of the authority that is in your son Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with our leaders. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom faithfulness, favor, a greater love for you that would overflow into a greater love for your church. Father, I pray that you would be with us, that we would pray for our leaders, that we would pray for their wisdom, their protection, their faithfulness. Father, thank you for the gifts that you give us. Thank you for the funds that you give us to supply our needs, and to bless the world. And Lord, I pray that as we give to you today, it would not just be out of routine or obligation, but Lord, out of faithfulness and worship that would bring you joy. Use our tithes and our offerings to multiply the message of the gospel across our community and around the world. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the head of our church. Amen.